Okay, so as the country gingerly reopens, which may or may not pan out, you're probably wondering, what can I do to help? I'm only one person on this crazy, spinning, pandemic planet. How can I make a difference at all? Well, you can. And here's how. Support your local record store or bookstore or grocer or restaurant. I know. Ordering from Amazon is easy. You hit a button, and then your door opens while you're sleeping, and packages get placed gently on your counter, and when you wake up, they're just sitting there next to a moist towelette and a refreshing mint. Uh, By the way, that service, uh, if you want that, you have to be an Amazon Prime Prime member, not just Amazon Prime. Uh, Then there's Amazon Prime Prime Prime, where they come in, They leave the package, the mint, the moist towelette, and they do the dishes, they walk the dog, and they break up with your boyfriend. But look, before you give strangers a key to your house, support the stores down the street from you. For me, here in the Bay Area, it's Amoeba Music, it's a great good place for books, it's City Lights, it's the Ethiopian restaurant Barcoat on Telegraph in Oakland, and for you, well, take a look around and see who needs your help. Because trust me. They all do. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Listen, darling, hear me calling your name. Listen, darling, hear me calling your name. So come back. is the music of my guest today on the program, Hamish Anderson. Let me tell you a little bit about Hamish Anderson. All right, so over the course of this podcast, I've been very lucky that I got the chance to sit down with guitar gods like Steve Hackett and Tommy Emmanuel. Chatting with those guys really did feel uh, like a visit to Mount Olympus. They're titans. That's all there is to it. Now, As interesting as it is to pick the brain of an established god, it's just as interesting to pick the brain of a future one. The blues guitarist Hamish Anderson, well, he's one of those future ones. And when I say future, I don't mean in like 200 years. I mean in maybe 200 days. This guy is a monster, and word is out. The Australian-born blues guitarist is just shy of 30, but he's already packed his CV with godish highlights. Let me give you a couple. He was the last person to open for B.B. King. He was handpicked by Gary Clark Jr. to tour with him across the world. He's played South by Southwest, Mountain Jam Festival, Summerfest, and the Ottawa Blues Fest. His debut album was produced by the Grammy Award-winning producer and mixer Jim Scott, and he's recorded with everyone from Los Lobos' Steve Berlin 
to the Foo Fighters' Rami Jaffe. His two albums, 2016's Trouble and 2019's Out of My Head, are thoughtful and scorching platters of sizzling blues and soulful roots music. And if you just hear a second of either of those albums, it becomes very clear that Hamish Anderson is one of those dudes who was just born to play. So yes, it's early on in his career, but the pace has been set, and I don't think it's going to be very long before Hamish Anderson is considered one of the very best we have. And guess what? He's a really nice guy, too. So, let me introduce you. This is Hamish Anderson and me having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. definitely obviously like touring like it's a big hit um you know trying to swallow that like and i just keep thinking especially last year we did so much touring and so much international specifically touring that you know in that regards it just makes me reflect on that that you know how how many different places i was in last year and playing you know probably nine months out of the year and all that stuff um but yeah it's just very strange you know it's it's for obviously um, you know multiple reasons but it's just it's really it's very strange and I do think the one thing that you know one maybe positive that'll come out of it is obviously a lot of creativity because like I feel like already every day I've just been creating like whether it's writing or doing the trying to work out how to do the live stream shows and just making music just because I think that for me it's like I can eat eight hours of the day, you know, playing music and I forget about everything that's going on. And it's a really good, you know, good for the soul, I guess, to try and keep busy. Right. And also, I mean, from a purely fiscal standpoint, musicians these days make their living being on the road. So that must be a little bit stressful for you. Oh, very much so. And it's, you know, it's stressful to think as well, once we get through this, what, you know, the world will look like on the other side and what the touring industry will be like on the other side. And, you know, I don't think it obviously will be the same as it was, but I don't know what it will be. So yeah, I definitely think it is. It's really just confusing and hard to think about. Yeah. Because it's not as though like the world is going to be back to normal the next day. Like I can't see people wanting to go to a rave on a boat. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or like an airplane or anything, you know what I mean? It's hard to it's hard to think how I can't, I still can't think how, what it looks like the other side, like how we get out of it and what it looks like. It's just, and you know, for me particularly, I think this is the first, you know, I'm 28 now. And when things like, you know, the kind of comparable, but not quite, but maybe like SARS or like nine 11 happen, I was think I was too young to kind of, you know, at the time know the full scope of what was going on. So definitely for people of my generation, this is the first, kind of one of these huge events I feel like that we've had like you know that's unlike anything else before so yeah it's it's just a strange strange time the only difference is is that with those events people will say do you remember where you were when that happened Mm. and people will say oh I was at this restaurant for us it'll be like yeah I was at home and the next day I was at home and I stayed at home the next day (laughs) yeah exactly there couldn't be a more we're all in it together situation like you couldn't even come up with something that it's everyone is doesn't matter how rich or poor or you know anything it's just everyone's in the same boat basically 
It's very true. And I'm glad to hear that you are feeling more creative than ever because some people, um, you know, it gets, it's a very stressful situation and it sort of mm -hmm. paralyzes creativity. Yeah, I think that'll happen as well. You know, I think it's, I think it's good days and bad days. Like, you know, but at the moment, I think I've, I've just kind of found some solace in just putting my head down and creating because yeah, it's, it's such a great thing. Even, you know, before this in general, I find that I can eat, you know, six hours of the day playing guitar and writing songs. And that's something that removes me from looking at my phone or looking at my computer that, you know, most of the other time, that's all we do is we always have our faces down looking at our palm of the phone or whatever. So music is a really great, it's cathartic and it's a great escape, I think. You seem like the kind of guy who did that anyway. You seem like from an early, mm. from an early age, you were practicing six, seven hours a day. Is that, is that an accurate read? Yeah, definitely. Like there were, you know, especially when I was younger, probably in my late teens, that was very much the, you know, lock myself away and try and practice, practice, practice. And, and now it is particularly around like last year, you know, it was basically nine months of like a lot of touring. Then I came home to Australia um, for Christmas and New Year's. And I was planning to come back to the States, you know, maybe two weeks ago, but obviously that can't happen now. But I was already that kind of period of the year around Christmas time and New Year's when everything stops for a minute. That's really when I lock myself away and I go back to that thing of being in the bedroom and writing and, and just kind of, you know, it's the other side of it when you step away from playing live and doing that stuff, you're back in your bedroom with a guitar and a blank page and so I was already back kind of in that mindset, I think, before this happened. Are you still, as an artist, do you still find yourself, you know, at 10 o'clock going into your room and then all of a sudden you look at the clock and it's 5.30? Does that still happen to you? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, you know, it, it's uh, it's funny writing, especially I can go very long periods of time with, you know, I, I try and write a lot, but maybe it'll just be a couple lines or a little riff idea. But when I'm in the zone, like, especially over the past couple of months, that's what it's like. It's like clocking in like a day job and, you know, writing all day and just following it and just trying to write and write and write as much as I can until I kind of feel like I've, you know, tapped out and don't have anything left to say. When did you first self-identify as, okay, I am a guitar player. This is, this is who I am. This is my identity. I'm not going to be a lawyer. This is exactly who I am. You must have known that pretty early. Yeah, I think the moment, I spoke about it a, a couple of times that I think the moment really when I was 12 um, and I, I was just at home one day and I put on my dad had the Beatles white album, the double CD just hanging around. So I put that on and back in the USSR was the first track. That was my first time hearing it. And it really was like instant that before that moment, I'd never, I'd never really thought about music or guitars or anything you know the music I would listen to before that was just because my older sister listened to it so it was good Charlotte or whatever was happening at the time but it wasn't I don't know if I really liked it or not I just kind of you know she was older so we had what CD she had but that was the first time that really something like clicked inside of me and I still feel like I'm on that same journey of you know just being hypnotized by guitars and songwriting and just wanting to be part of that. Well, you know, if, if everybody became what they said they were going to be when they were 12, nobody would be what they are now. 
that's true. Yeah, it's a very, it's it is a rare thing because I think that you know it's like, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I still have friends, you know, who don't necessarily know what they want to do and have that thing. I think it's it is very rare that you know when you can be really young, there's kind of the people who don't know what they want to do and that's fine. And there's you know occasionally the people that know exactly what they want to do and it's like everything from that moment is just about that one thing like it's all everything else fell by the wayside like I wasn't particularly good at school at anything but it was like everything became about music and my identity to people became you know oh that's that kid that plays guitar like it was just my whole world was just kind of based around that I would imagine if your teachers were saying to your parents, like, you know, Hamish just can't focus. Your parents would have been mm. like, well, actually he can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the thing. And I remember, cause I loved, I was just drawn to like, I still am older music. Like I, I like new music too, but a lot of the times, you know, it was when I got really into the blues and I got really into the sixties and seventies British invasion stuff and the seventies, you know, singer songwriter stuff. But I remember my teachers being like, do you like anyone that's alive? Like it was always like, I just liked all these dead people. And they always found that really strange that I just, all these Jim Morrison's and John Lennon's and whoever it was, it was just a bunch of old dead musos. Well, I prefer that over good Charlotte. Um, yeah, exactly. Me too. I'm glad I got out of that one. That could have been a very different, <laughs> very different end product. Yeah. Um, I mean, but there is something to be said about you know, some people always feel that they are not not born in the wrong era, but kind of. You know, like like the music of mm. of today doesn't speak to you the way that the you know the stuff does from another time. There must be something in you that is responding to something. Um, it's almost kind of cosmic when you think about it. Yeah, I think so. And I think before before I really got into rock and roll and blues and songwriting and stuff i was just i was just really interested in history like i think that was the main thing where all of this came from was before that it was like when i was younger i was really interested in old movies so it was like alfred hitchcock and charlie chaplin and it was always just older stuff movies or literature or whatever just for some reason i think i just loved finding out the history of something and tracing it back to where you know who influenced alfred hitchcock or Buster Keaton or whatever it was so then when it switched to music to me now it's so obvious that I went back to the blues because that's kind of the root of everything musically that I love whether it's rock and roll or soul music or pop music or hip-hop or whatever it all basically comes from that root yeah to to be a fan of the blues is to be a fan of history Mm, yeah very much so and I think it's you know I very much believe in that thing of knowing your history and knowing where things came from that to me it's like that thing of you know you got to understand the past to go forward I, I really I really believe in that yeah it's interesting to me because the blues is obviously you know the roots are in the deep south of America it's African-American music uh from mm. the 1870s and mm. here you are right like a 12 year old white kid who is responding to a music which is very specific to a time a place and a people um mm. I, I think that's fascinating yeah i think it was funny because i never i never really it's funny like now and especially when i five years ago when i moved over to america and i would talk to people they always found it really strange that that i identified with this music and i think the reason why i never really thought about that or it seemed weird to me was originally before i found out you know who muddy waters was or john lee hooker I was, you know, the first people I became obsessed with were the Rolling Stones 
and Led Zeppelin and Clapton and all this stuff that because I don't think, first of all, I don't think I put a timestamp on it. And second off, it was these like skinny white British kids playing this music. And there also is a lot of like a similarity between British and Australian that I think I just like, to me, I just identified with that. These like skinny white kids playing this type of music and it just it didn't seem weird to me at all yeah because like the small faces um the mm. jam they all they all yeah. love blues and soul and r&b all of it was in their yeah. DNA. yeah exactly that's the thing and and that when you get on that kind of train that you know every interview you read with clapton or keith richards or whatever they talk about jimmy reed and then you go oh who's jimmy reed and you go back and find that and then you see him talk about muddy waters and you find that you see him talk about Sunhouse, and it's just that kind of like it's a you know a magical kind of thing going back and finding all that stuff and realizing that you know led zeppelin got this lyric from muddy waters and he got it from this guy and it's just you see this kind of timeline through you know all of the different incarnations of blues and then it gets weird when you start looking at Robert Johnson, you start thinking like there's something going on there that is even hard to explain. Yeah, that's the thing. And Robert Johnson's such a it's such a particular thing that um yeah, when you meet people that have really l- listened to that record and are really into it, it's like it's even still it's kind of like a rare thing. Like obviously guitarists are, but most people don't really care that much about Robert Johnson, but it is. It's still like this spiritual mystical you know music that and the whole story around it and the mythology and all that stuff it's just it's really powerful stuff that you know sounds like straight out of a movie yeah it's 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 like i've had guitar players tell me that they that he is mystifying to them Mm -hmm. yeah you can't it's like i don't know if anyone can really recreate that because it's that thing of that you know it doesn't sound like one guy it's like sounds like two guitar players playing together and yeah. And his voice is so eerie and the songwriting is the songwriting still is just mind blowing. Like when you listen to Hellhounds on my trail or Love in Vain or any of those things, it's just you can just see so much of where so many people from the Rolling Stones to Lucinda Williams to Jay Z, whoever it is, like his influence is just crazy how far it spreads. Now, when you were that kid with the guitar, at one point that had to convert over to the guy with the guitar always gets the attention of the girls. So I imagine <laughs> that you must have noticed at one point in your life, like, oh, this this is a very powerful choice I've made. A little bit. But the funny thing as well is I think because when I when I started playing guitar, I guess it was around like 2000, 2003, 2004. And there was a bit of a rock revival thing going on then. So that was great. But also it was also people were so much more interested in the DJ thing and pop music that at that time, I honestly think the least cool thing you could do was play guitar. Like no one really that I knew had any interest in any of the music I liked or guitar music. It was very much, you know, Britney Spears or whatever was happening at the time that I, I think that maybe came a bit later, but definitely at that time, it was like nobody around my age in my circle at my school gave a shit about guitar. It was just like, yeah. it was about DJs and pop music and whatever. And it was, it was not the hip thing to do at the time. So I think that, I think that came a bit later. I think definitely, I think like when John Mayer became more guitar-y, that was a very big thing that people really, that kind of make guitar cool again, I think to a lot of people. 
Um, and then some of those bands like the Strokes and Kings of Leon and stuff like that kind of that kind of turned it a little more back to that stuff. Yeah, had it been ninety nine or two thousand, the Living End would have been mm. right. That yeah, era. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Powderfinger and all that stuff that we were. And that's the thing that I think as well. I was lucky that there were actually some really great Australian bands as well at that time. Like Jet was yeah. a band that were from a really small area in Melbourne called Dingley that like nothing comes out of. Like it's just a very small town, but it was the fact that like some guys from that town that's 20 minutes from where you live, like have hit, you know, are opening for the Rolling Stones and have a song and like an iPod commercial and all this stuff. It was just really, really inspiring. And yeah, there was a lot of cool wolf mother and all that type of stuff was starting to creep around which was really cool because i wish there was more of that stuff now now it's it's changing a little bit but for a while it's been hard to even see guitars on tv or radio or anything it's just been so synthed out and pop music out. i think yeah and jet and um you know jet did pretty well over here and powderfinger started to make an impression here and then they sort of it the times changed like you were saying yeah, it was funny that, yeah, Jet definitely, they definitely got big in America, but Powderfinger was one of those bands that they were so big in Australia, but it didn't quite seem to do that thing where it took off in America for whatever reason it was. But they're like, you know, they're like Australian rock royalty now up there with, you know, ACDC or NXS or one of those bands. Now, for you, you could do what you're doing for the next 50 years. I mean, you could make these kinds of records. I wonder how willing are you to be adventurous artistically? Um, and I, I mean, by that, I mean, like, would you ever explore like flamenco or like Django Reinhardt kind of stuff? Or do you want to stay rooted in what you're doing? Or um, I'm just trying to figure out how willing are you to challenge yourself to cross genres? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a fine line to walk. I think when you, I think everything I do to me comes from the blues core, whether it's just the feeling of it, not necessarily, you know, I don't really do 12 bar blues or things like that. Um, but I, I do think it's important to push and be adventurous. Like I think, I think my first album trouble was very much about the guitar and was kind of maybe a little more leaning towards the classic rock type of things. And then my, my new album, Out of My Head, it has elements of that, but I wanted to, you know, I don't, I don't want everything to be about guitar solos and things like that because they're great and I love doing them and I do a lot of them. But to me, it's like when every song is just like a big guitar rock thing, it's not really interesting to me. And like, I love, like the White Album is a prime example of an album that it just went everywhere stylistically. So it right. was, there were songs that were, almost you know sounding like the genesis of heavy metal like really heavy rock songs and then there were these beautiful acoustic ballads and the quirky little ditties and all that stuff that i think especially with out of my head i tried to really not consciously but it just spread across a lot of different genres so there were some rocky blue stuff but then there was a lot of acoustic stuff and there were soul songs and there were curtis mayfield influences and all this stuff that i like to spread out across genres and I don't want to just be, you know, a, a blues rocker or just an acoustic person. I like doing both. And, and I think definitely like stuff I'm working on now, I want to maybe try and bridge a little bit of my classic influences with a little more of a modern sound, I think, because my previous two records have maybe been very classic sounding and I don't want to use like 
you know, electronic drums or anything like that, but I want to try and bridge those two things together a little more, I think. She never cared for me. She was only playing. Never listened to what I say. Many things she was saying. Sometimes I feel like I'm breaking down. Pretty soon you might find I won't be around. into a club and there's a band on stage how long does it take someone like you who is so adept at your instrument i mean that it's like an extension of your of your arm how long does it take for you to know if the guitar player can can play i mean i i think it's it's probably pretty quick i think now to me it's more about it's if anything i think to do with taste like i like tasteful players that you know, if I go somewhere and the guitar player, people are like, this guy rips and he's just playing a billion notes and as fast as he can, whatever. That to me has never been something that turns me on. Like there's great players that can do it and it's a skill on its own, but I've never really been that interested in the technical side of things. Like to me, it's like I would rather hear someone play two notes with, you know, a whole bunch of feel and just a beautiful tone. Like a lot of these kind of 
guitar play guitar players that people go crazy for i don't really like it's like i really i would rather listen to jj kale or george harrison or someone that just has that touch and that taste that they don't have to play everything every lick that they know like i think that's sometimes a big thing with guitar players is you can hear when it's like they're just trying to play everything they know and throw it at you and hit you across the face and to me it's like it always starts with the song i think i'm just so drawn to songs and melodies and that's why my ear as a guitar player i think goes to melodies and something that i remember more than someone just playing a bunch of hot licks i guess yeah you've explained perfectly why i love mark knopfler so much yeah yeah and then he's a great example of it it's that thing it's the tone and the touch and i can hear that jj kale was a huge influence on him because it's just he plays his solos are like mini songs inside of his songs and that to me that's the highest a guitar player can get i think and i guess chet atkins was kind of like that too mm, yeah exactly and like you said jango reinhardt and and bb king who's one of my favorite guitarists ever he was exactly like that that he could play one note and just hold it and it just sounded like a female vocalist singing and just you know it hit you right in the heart and that's the that's the type of guitar playing i love tell me about your relationship with gary clark jr yeah well i so i moved over from uh, australia to the states in 2014 um and i originally came over to do like a I kind of like it was like a radio review show almost with some other Australian bands and and the base was LA and we went to like San Fran I don't know where we go Seattle and like a bunch of places Portland um so I knew I would be in the states for basically like a four month period um and then one of the really early shows I did I was playing in New York at a place called Rockwood and um my manager who wasn't managing me at the time she had previously known Gary and just by coincidence the night before in New York she ran into him and she was like oh you know you should come to the show tomorrow night this kid playing guitar like whatever you guys have similar influences and i didn't know and you know i was in the first song i think launching into my first solo there weren't a whole lot of people there it was very early days and the first person i saw was Gary and it was like of the new artists out there you know like i said i go back a lot of the times to the legends but gary would definitely be at the top of the list for me of someone who who bridges that gap between the old and the new and just does stuff that i i admire everything about him um so that was like crazy to see him and i just kind of my hand tightened up and i just thought i got to like block it out and just <laughs> like ignore that he's there and um and after the show we got to meet and hang out and he was really cool really complimentary you know about my not only my guitar playing but about my singing my songwriting and we just kind of hang out, hung out and we spoke about Albert King and Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Reed and all this stuff and he just like he was just really down to earth and nice no ego gave me his number and was like you know hit me up sometime whatever and and after that it was like uh there was a an interview he did where the person asked like who are some guitarists you like who are under the age of 30 and he mentioned me along with those people so that was just you know it was just he would just do these nice things like give me a little shout out or a leg up and I'd run into him at different festivals or venues in LA or whatever and over the years it's just kind of developed you know we just kind of 
get to know each other. And, and last year I got to open for him in Australia, which was like a dream come true opening for him and the cherry on top being able to do it in Australia. And he had me sit in with him every night. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, he's just been really, really kind to me when, you know, he doesn't have any obligation to be or anything. And he's just, I don't think there's a lot of artists in his position that would be so generous to younger upcoming, you know, people trying to make a living at doing it because like, and there's a number of people now that I've met, not only musicians, but whether it's people doing photography or whatever, that Gary's just, you know, giving them a shot and taking them on tour with him or giving them a shout out or whatever. So he's just very egoless and, and just very generous. You know, when I was 19, I met a girl and she gave me her number and said, hit me up sometime. And I was so afraid. I'm like, well, maybe today is the wrong day. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And I, I, <laughs> I used it as a bookmark in a book and then I eventually lost it. I never actually did it because I was so afraid and I kept thinking like, well, when's the perfect time? And I ended up not ever doing it. Did you actually send him a message or text him or did you actually use the number? Oh yeah, I, I have. I don't, he's a, he's very much more a person when you see him, he's very engaged, less of a, a reply text her back, but I don't think it's a personal I, thing, but um it definitely, it is like that. And I think the fact that he was so nice when I met him was why, and each time I've seen him is why I feel comfortable around him. And I think that we've built a relationship because I, I know exactly what you mean. And especially with like meeting people you admire, it can sometimes be a real shitty experience. Yeah. And you kind of be like, oh God, I wish I'd never met that person because, you know, now I just have this weird memory. And a lot of the time it's it's even, not even it could be worse than you not as bad as you make it out to be and whatever. But with him, it's just been like very natural. And yeah, I think that's just, I think I've just felt really comfortable around him, which is just really blows my mind. You know, it's funny. I, um, I won't say who it was, but I interviewed a band years ago and they were super shitty to me. And I love the band. And yeah, when it's it was over, oh, it was terrible. When it was over, I came back and I looked at my all my CDs and I went, "What am I going to do with these things now?" They're a doorstop now. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's bad. Yeah. It's always it's a thing, you know. I used to when I was younger, I was like, I was just, you know, I just wanted ah, oh, if I could just meet this person, that person, and it's like, I think, um, you know, it's not always like that. And the thing with Gary, I think I met him the perfect way that it was like he came to my show and saw me play. So it was like, it, you know, we could talk about that. If I had just met him before and I was like, oh, I'm a guitar player and I love the blues. It's like, he probably gets that like all day, every day. And there's no, there's no, you know, you could just be like, oh, that's cool. That's great. Fantastic. But like, it was like the most, the, the perfect, you know, type of way to get to know someone like that. And yeah, to have the first meeting, it's like still, it just seems like it was some sort of, you know, cosmic, you know, yeah. fate type thing or whatever. But well, it yeah. just, yeah, it kind of couldn't have gone better. And did it also kind of teach you that it's important for you to sort of do that as well for 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 an artist who is just like yourself? You know, like a young person comes to you and you give them the same, the same shot. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, you know, if I was you know, when I'm whatever old or whatever, if I'm ever in that same position, it's like, that's the way I would want to be, that I would want to be, you know, not forget that you were once that person as well. You know, it's like he spent so many years playing in clubs and, you know, he wasn't a huge superstar like he is now that it's like, I think it's so rare. 
and just awesome that someone remembers that and carries it with them and doesn't, you know, people that start to believe their own hype or get whatever, it can be a weird thing that I, I just think it's like, that's a testament to, you know, him. He's just a good person. Have you built a community of friends that are musicians? Do you feel you've built a network of like-minded people? You're all in the same business. You all know what you're going through. Yeah, now I have. For a long time, it wasn't like that just because I think that in Australia, my friends, like I said, no one cared about music. And I just didn't, I didn't really fit in a scene here, I think, because it was like when I was, you know, starting to gig in my late teens, I couldn't find a band. So it was like my dream was to be in a band. You know, if I could have just been one of the guys in a band, you know, that was my dream. But it was like no one no one I knew played instruments, no one wanted to, and you'd meet someone and maybe they played drums, but it was like they didn't show up for rehearsal or it wasn't taken as seriously. So it was like, I just began doing solo stuff out of no other option. That it was just me and an acoustic guitar playing songs in pubs. And, you know, in in Melbourne, particularly Melbourne has a great music scene, but I just didn't fit in it. Like it was like, there was kind of this Mumford and Sons folky scene going on, which I wasn't really a part of. And then there was the more, Aussie hip hop type of stuff, but there wasn't like a huge blues, particularly or rock scene of younger people. So when I finally came to LA in America, that's when, you know, after first year or so, I did find this community of people that now it's like they're, they have a really thriving rock and blues scene. And, you know, I, I do have a lot of like-minded musician friends and I feel part of a community at places like Hotel Cafe or, the Troubadour, these iconic places that, you know, you know, all of you play there all the time and you go support people and any night of the week, there's amazing bands from all around the world playing. And it's like definitely the past couple of years in LA, I felt really part of that music scene. It's really interesting because the music you listened to as a kid was not what was in vogue among kids your age. Um, and and so from from the first moment on, you have always been a guy who has been kind of on the outside. Did did you always mm. feel like an outsider? Yeah, I think so. I think I was a little bit. I probably still am a little bit of a loner. Like it's like, you know, music for me. I think was before then. I probably struggled with an identity, like you know, not knowing who I was, and things would just be phases. Like a lot of when you're young, you go through a lot of phases. But I think that's why music, you know, music's really been there for me through all of it. That you know, even, even regardless of playing music, I just listen to music for hours and hours on end during the day. And it's like, it just clears my head and it just, yeah, it, I think by having that, it's given me an identity and it's given me something that drives me every single day. And I always want to get better at and always work at, and, you know, I'll get, have a shitty show or whatever and get knocked on my ass. And I just like, I always it's like, you know, I think that's the end. I suck. I can never do it. And then like <laughs> an hour later, I'll find myself playing the guitar. So it's just like some sort of like crazy thing that I'm just drawn to. And, you know, I just always keep working at, I think. Yeah. It's funny. Cause it's, it's a, it's an instrument that you really probably can't <clears throat> even really master. Right. Like, and that might, you're always no, no, chasing yeah. it. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 and I think it's the same with songwriting and everything that like, you can write a song or you can make an album and you think, Oh, this is the shit. Like, this is like the greatest thing, whatever. And it's like, once you finish it, there's always that bit of like, 
you always feel like you haven't quite reached there. And I think that's, that probably continues forever. And I think that's the thing, like you said, that you never master it and you're always trying to get better and, and learning. And it's just, it's just endless. I think. Yeah. Because if you, you would think like, okay, if you wrote a song, like in my life or blackbird mm. or back in the USSR, like you were mentioning, you would go, all right, well, I guess I'm done. I guess, yeah. I guess, right. That's perfect. Um, yeah. but yet they kept going and, you yeah, know, just yeah, like that's the thing. right. Like most artists, I mean, I'm a writer. If I write a piece, I'm really happy with, as soon as I'm done, I think, okay, now what, what's next? What's the next thing? Mm. Um, you're never, there's never a moment where you tap out where you go, okay, I've accomplished no. it. Now I'll learn something else. It's like, you have to keep, keep going. And every, everything you do is like, hopefully an evolved iteration of the last or an improvement. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that like, you look at those people like the McCartney's and Bob Dylan or Neil Young or Joni Mitchell or whoever. And just the fact that they have done so much and you think that it would be like, if anyone could rest on their laurels, it could be those people. And the fact that they still do it and keep pushing and, you know, it's just, that's something that the longevity of that is something that I really admire. I talked to Robbie Krieger of the doors a couple of weeks ago and he told me that oh, wow. awesome. he was great. And he told me that uh, he thought Joan Baez and Bob Dylan were two very underrated guitar players. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, definitely, I think Bob Dylan, like everything he does has such an unusual way of doing it that, yeah, like you listen to his guitar playing and he's not like, you know, a Clapton or someone that's doing virtuoso solos, but his right hand strumming and the way he plays rhythm is amazing like it's like the way he locks in with a drummer and lays down rhythm guitar it's unlike anyone else you know it's, it's like keith richards it's just something that's so unique to them that i i don't even think you can put it into words it's just it's just like the magic is there what is your take on prince as a guitar player yeah i think prince is a phenomenal guitar player i think i think like a lot of people i didn't really know how good he was until probably like my late teens, I remember seeing that clip at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when he's playing with Petty and Jeff Lynne and stuff doing right. While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And he does that crazy solo and then he throws the guitar up in the air and it's gone and you don't know what happened. Like, I think that was like, <laughs> that was like the first time I think I really paid attention to him. And he was playing a Telecaster and I, or what looked like a Telecaster. And that's the guitar, main guitar I use. So that really caught my attention. And yeah, I mean, like, you listen to all that stuff, like uh, Purple Rain and the the intro to When Doves Cry. It's like he's, he's so talented. It's like Robert Johnson's one of those people that it doesn't even seem human. Like it just seems supernatural. And I don't, it doesn't even seem believable that someone could be that good at guitar playing and singing and songwriting and production and everything. It's just one yeah. of, he's one of those people that makes you feel like you're a billion miles away from being even remotely good just because they're so freakishly talented. He was one of those guys. I remember in the eighties, he wasn't, no one even mentioned him as a guitar player. He was so good. Mm. No one even realized what he was doing. Yeah. And that shows you the true mark of, yes, yeah, someone that that's the thing that his guitar playing was probably like third or fourth on the rank of things people would talk about, you know, below right. his songs and his voice and just the way, just the, you know the look and the aura he had that that's like yeah it's just it really is just crazy how talented he was i remember the the solo in let's go crazy at the very end 
where mm. I kind of went, what's happening here? I, did, I didn't even yeah. know. And that's a mind yeah. blowing. Yeah, he was like this weird, like Jimi Hendrix, Little Richard, like all these things kind of rolled into one, but then still just uniquely, like completely his own thing that it's, he's like another one of those great examples of you can see the history of the music that influenced him, but it came out in a way that was so unique to him that I think that's like, nowadays, a lot of the times you see people who, you know, maybe it's a band that sounds exactly like another band and they dress like that band and the singer sounds like the guy from that band or whatever. It's like that to me is fairly uninteresting. Whereas people like Prince who took all these different influences and put them in a blender and it came out as something uniquely them. I think that's the ultimate sign of like a true artist, I think. How willing are you to musically cross-train? In other words, would you be willing to pick up a clarinet or, 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 or like a tuba? I mean, are you willing to learn? Do you think it's a good idea to learn other instruments or, or do you know other instruments other than the guitar? I mean, I don't really know other instruments other than guitar. I like, I like to plonk around on the piano. I'm, I'm by no means a good piano player. Like I can just play chords. But I like doing it because it is like you think in a totally different way doing it. And I have some songs that, you know, I wrote on the piano and later translated them to guitar. And it does, it, sometimes with guitar, you know, especially if you're playing a lot, you can fall into like anything habits. So your hands always go to the same type of thing. And, right. you know, you could write a bunch of songs that maybe sound similar. So then if you break it up and you write something on the piano, it just, makes you do something that you wouldn't normally do so I do think it's a really good thing to kind of break you out of your habit and yeah I think I should do more of it you know like I would like to if I had a drum kit to you know try my hand at drums and I'd like to get a bass and try my hand at that I think I think it's important to keep kind of you know pushing the boundaries and doing different things and there's people like Prince and Gary are two people that they can do that they can go to every single instrument and play it and it's just like, I can't do that, but I would like to to try and, you know, try my hand at getting better at that. Yeah, playing guitar, it feels very foundational where it feels like you could mm. probably figure the bass out pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And and that it's, you know, it's just a good exercise. And, and especially bass playing, the bass playing I like is very minimal. Like Paul McCartney is one of my favorite bass players. And and it's, yeah, it's it's like a... A long time ago, I had a music teacher that kind of broke me out of, you know, when I used to listen to a song, I would just listen to maybe the guitar and the voice because the, obviously that's two things I do. So my ear just went to that. And he was like, you know, you should try and listen to everything. You should listen to the bass. You should listen to the drums. You should listen to the strings. So that really opened my mind, I think, to focusing on the music as a whole than, you know, just the guitarist or just the singer or whatever. When you're playing live, I know everything's important, but when you're playing live for the guitar player, what is the most important relationship on that stage? Like who is your anchor that you're paying the most attention to? Yeah, definitely the drummer. I mean, for me, everything, especially now kind of starts with the drums because if the drummer, if the drummer isn't good, this is like going back to when you say, when I go and listen to music, whatever, it's like the drummer is really now other than maybe the vocalist, I guess, but the drummer is so important in a band because it's like, if the drums aren't cooking, then everything's just fucked <laughs> because it's like <laughs> the drummer just is so, it's so important. And I think to any of those, any of the bands I love, the Beatles, people shit on Ringo all the time, but I think Ringo Starr is an amazing drummer. 
just because he plays what the song requires. And, you know, I'm not like with guitar, I'm not as much into like, not to put them down, like Rush is a great band. I've never really particularly been into Rush, but I know that drummer, Neil Peart or whatever his name was, he does a lot of crazy drum stuff. But like, to me, it's like, I love Ringo and, and Charlie Watts. And I mean, even Keith Moon, who did crazy drum stuff, but like, I think the drums are so important. And as a guitar player, I always watch the drummer and I have to be able to see the drummer's the kick, the foot, because that's what kind of keeps me in time. And yeah, everything, the drums are so important in live shows, I think, with rock and roll, especially. How, um, just to finish with, how hard are you on yourself? Do you do you really, like after a show or... Um... When you're when you're practicing, do you do like sort of a post mortem? Do you really go over what you did and sort of review it and try to sort of um, you know run run yourself through what just happened to try to learn from it? Yes, I I think um, I think I definitely I tr- I'm, I try really hard to not dip into it too much because it can also be really self indulgent. But yeah. I definitely lean towards the beating myself up and you know, focusing on something that like, if I was at that show and I was watching it, I probably would have never noticed that mistake or whatever. But, you know, unless I'd seen the show maybe a billion times and I knew that that's exactly how that part went or whatever, like I I, I can get too hung up on that stuff and, you know, getting too in my head about whether this crowd's liking it or not. And if this is going over and it's like, it's really hard a lot of the times to gauge on stage how things are going. Cause I've had shows where, you know, I've, I've thought I'm just sucking. And then afterwards it's like, I've gotten the biggest response and fanfare and whatever afterwards. So it's, it's really hard to gauge, but I think um, it's a line. I, I try to walk of like, I don't want things to be perfect because things, especially in rock and roll and blues and everything, it shouldn't be perfect. Like it's not like pop music or, anything like that where everything's meant to be perfect. It's like, you don't want it to sound like crap and be a train wreck, but you don't want it to be, you know, when it becomes too choreographed and staged and everything, it's not really what it's about. So I think it's like kind of trying to walk that line of, you know, not trying to be like anything goes, but also, you know, trying not to get too down on yourself for every little mistake or little thing that happens. And are, are you also willing to say to yourself, well done, that, that was, that was good. <laughs> like I, I nailed that. <laughs> probably more rare. It probably, that probably doesn't happen as much as maybe I probably should just for my own <laughs> sanity. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those things that unfortunately I think it's human nature as well. We, the compliments you get or the good things that happen, you're so ambivalent about, like it's just, whatever and then it's like the one thing that doesn't go right or the one negative you get you just hone in on that one thing that always seems to be a a thing that I find with like not only musicians but comedians talk about that a lot and I do think it's important to like because like I said it also this thing of like beating yourself up after it whatever it can dip into this weird self-indulgent ego thing of just trying to like I don't know for whatever reason get down on yourself and you know but uh, it's something I, I definitely am constantly working on, I think, trying to be clear-minded about it.
lovely guy, that Hamish Anderson. Go visit him at hamishandersonmusic.com and uh, find out what's going on with him music-wise, tour-wise, and, uh, and otherwise. It's all, all of the wises. They're all represented on his website. As for all my wises, well, they can be found at my website, alexgreenonline.com. News about my new book, Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight, can be found there. The book can also be pre-ordered anywhere that you get books. But you know what would be really great is if you order it from your local bookstore. Just hang out in your car, and somebody in a mask will walk it out to you. <laughs> okay? It's not how Charles Dickens imagined it, but that's the world we're living in. What are we going to do? You can find me on Twitter, at Ember's Editor. You can find me on Instagram, at Ember's Podcast. You can email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating, tell all your friends. We would appreciate it. Let's close the show with another new song uh, from Hamish Anderson. This is Out of My Head. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to our show. I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast, only on Bombshell Radio. Out of my head All through the day Dreams I used to have now gone away There is nothing you can tell me With nowhere to go Now the friends I once had Are friends I used to know There is nothing you can show me That I haven't seen before I'm out of my head This train don't stop anymore Oh, your life is long and I think of you from time to time Still I know it's okay, it'll be fine Just out of my mind, for now I'm just out of my mind Out of my mind, just sit and waste Watching the world go on Another face in the crowd There is nothing that you want me So now I just watch you go I'm out of my mind And now you know Oh, your life is long And I think of Okay, it'll all be fine. I'm just out of my mind. For now, I'm just out of my mind. Out of my head. All through the day. Dreams I used to have.
go.